there's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. This week on Catch and Shoot 2.0, the Lakers make a splash on draft night by adding Russell Westbrook. But will he be the right fit in the City of Angels? Meanwhile, the Pistons selected Cade Cunningham with the number one overall pick last Thursday during the NBA draft. Will he be the savior of Motown? We discuss all that and the start of NBA free agency with someone from the 8 Mile who covers every corner of the loop. But first, Darlene, let's get to it. Catch and Shoot 2.0 is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Catch and Shoot 2.0 goes well with both red and white and is perfect with the workout of your choice. Our hosts are Aaron Berlin, a former Kansas Jayhawk who believes the Orlando Magic will win the championship. Eventually. (laughs) His partner is Otto Strong, a man who has covered the NBA since before Dennis Rodman got his first tattoo. Fellas? And with that said, hi everybody and welcome to another rendition of Catch and Shoot 2.0. I am Aaron Berlin along with my partner. He is the one, he is the only, his name is Otto Strong. And Otto, we're taping this on Monday night, full disclosure. So NBA free agency opened up literally about an hour and 10 minutes ago as we're taping. So deals are rolling in. But before we get to all that, we're going to talk about free agency coming up. I want to revisit what happened on Thursday night with the NBA draft. Cade Cunningham goes number one overall. The Lakers made a splash, adding Russell Westbrook. What was the bigger story for you? Bigger story for me would probably have to be Cade Cunningham. <laughs> Leave it, you know, again, we talked about this being, being an Arlington guy, uh, Arlington, Texas, that is. Now, having said that, I think the bigger NBA story is obviously Russ going to the Lakers. Uh, it kind of puts them back into championship contention. Uh, it, it, it's, it's kind of funny how the predictions that we had a year ago, I've come right back. <laughs> we were talking Lakers in Brooklyn, and we're right back to that again. Well, okay. So, so here, here was my initial thing. You know, Russell Westbrook is a very ball-dominant point guard. And mm-hmm. LeBron is very much a pass-first player. Now, he'll take the shot when he needs to get it, right? But LeBron right. is always looking for the best opportunity. Is that going to work? Like in the back of your mind, do you see that working with those two? I, I think it'll work with AD for sure. But those two, I have a feeling are going to collide on a few different things. I think they might uh, kind of butt heads a little bit. I don't think it would be tremendously different than, say, how it was when LeBron went to the Heat and had had uh, Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh and trying to, trying to mesh all that. I think the fact that LeBron is where he is in his career, um, you know, Still a great player, but obviously on the, on the downside. I mean, he's, he's, I don't think he's going to be looking, you know, to be, I think, I think he'll want to have that, want to have that guy out there uh, to, 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 you know, eat up some of the, some of the minutes and, and the handles. Uh, and, and you're right. LeBron will still be LeBron. Um, would you, so what'd you think about, uh, yeah, I mean, they, they basically sent away what a third of their team, Kyle Kuzma, <laughs> KCP, like, you know, hopefully they got a deal on that flight going back to DC. See, but do you feel like, yeah. So I was amazed that they were able to pull it off. I thought it was a great deal from the Wizards' perspective. I mean, not Mm -hmm. only did they get the cap relief in sending 
Westbrook out, but also they get a first round pick in return, right? Like right. if you right. could come up with a better situation for the Wizards to try and find a better running mate for Bradley Beal, that was it. From the Lakers' perspective, you know, we knew that they needed to add a point guard. I don't think we knew how they were going to go about doing it. I think people assumed that it was going to be through the free agency process. But them being able to assume his salary with as big of his as his salary is, that's what shocked me. Mm -hmm. I just don't know how they find – I mean, they still have the middle-level exception that they can use throughout free agency. So it's going to be interesting to see who they pair as kind of like a fourth option. They still need someone that can really shoot, right? Because you're right. Russ is going to take a lot of the ball handling out of LeBron's hands. He's going to make it easier on him because he can bring it up to court. He can demand a lot of that attention, but he's also going to be able to eat up some minutes for LeBron. Absolutely. These are old guys. Yeah. (laughs) Like all all of a sudden this team has gotten like really, really old. And, 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 you know, I mean, by NBA standards, obviously. Um, And there's, look, they're, they clearly, you know, they are a win now all in chips, the middle table mode as they need to be, as they definitely should be. So, you know, I applaud them for that on the, on the, on the DC side, on the Washington side. I mean, you know, Beal was wondering, he probably would one foot out the door. Now you're feeling like, okay, okay, you know, we could see some things happening here. And yeah. doesn't feel like the, the death blow, the death knell that it might have been uh, had, it, had the trade gone in a different way. No, and it feels like now they have options. I mean, granted, this is a bad year from a free agency standpoint if you're looking to find a star to pair with them. But it gives them, I mean, there were only four or five teams, I think, entering free agency tonight that had cap room in general. So the fact that the Wizards made themselves available for options, that gives them a chance to improve their team. Um, but I, I did want to get your take, and, and if we have time, we can follow it up with some, some of my thoughts on the magic. But from a draft night perspective, what about what the Knicks did? There were a lot of options, I think, what people were thought that they could have done. What was it, at 19 and 21? Uh, like, I, I, I mean, I'll be honest with you. I, I just – I'm not, I don't, I don't, I don't get my heart broken again. You know, I'm, I'm kind of like, I'm kind of like Spike Lee sitting there, just like stone face, just like, like what's happening? What are we doing? What is happening? I mean, I don't, I, I don't have, I don't have a read. I don't have a read. I'm being, I'm being honest. Like I, I, I would love to be able to say like, yeah, I, I just, I just don't have a feel for, for, you know, was, was, was everything that we saw last year a fluke? Was it was it the start of something? Like I don't, I just don't have that. Like the Hawks, you feel like okay, that was the start of something. Um, the Suns, you felt like maybe it was the start of something. Although, although you know, it, but but with those guys, with those guys, I just I just don't know. I just yeah. don't know. It, well, know? hey, they, they leave you wondering, right? They give you something to nibble at, and now they got you keep come. They have you coming back, like wondering, like where are we going from here? Like what's the next step? Can, but, we talk about, can we talk about the draft itself? Like, yeah. how great, I mean, just as an event, how great was that? It's, it's so, uh, it, it was nice to have it back. But, and I, I, I think the rest of the Twitterverse has finally gotten to a point where they're over the um, pre-announcement of the picks, right? With Shams and Woj divulging two or three picks ahead each time, right? Because the thing I kept looking for was I, I, I had to turn my phone off because I didn't want the anticipation of who the next pick was or what was going to happen leading up to five and eight uh, to be spoiled for me. And when Scotty Barnes went four and I saw that, and, you know, I was thinking about a lot of my friends here in Orlando that are Magic fans that have for the last 
decade, you know, just felt like, well, if they had a top five pick, it was a four person draft, right? Or if they had a top three pick, it was a two person draft. And then to get to have one of those players slide to you that you didn't think was going to be available. That was an exciting moment. I went to a local bar. I saw it happen. People were cheering. They were pumped about it. And so that, I mean, that's what the NBA draft is about, right? Like it's not about two guys seeing who they can um, write out 140 characters fast, or I guess it's 240 characters fast enough now too, so that they can break the story first. It's about those moments leading up of like, what happens next? You know, we knew what level was going to be those top three, but once things got into play at four, it was a fun night. And there was a lot of moves that happened that I didn't think a lot of people thought were going to happen. Like, you know, Wagner goes eight. Nobody had him in the top 10. That's what the draft's about, right, man? That's what the NBA offseason's about. That's, that, that's, look, that's what it's about. I mean, I, I kind of had my phone off, too, because I, you know, I was on a little bit of a tape delay because uh, I was working, and so I, I wanted the experience to kind of kind that through. So, um, you know, that's uh, – It's fun. But it was, it, was, it was fun, good night all around. Absolutely. All right. Now let's go ahead and talk about the NBA offseason a little bit more in depth as we talk about free agency and the draft a little bit more. Okay, everybody. It's been a busy week around the association, and now we get to hit free agency. So to talk about all that's going on, including his hometown Detroit Pistons taking Cade Cunningham with number one pick overall in the NBA draft is Yahoo Sports senior NBA writer Vinny Goodwill. Vinny, welcome to the show. I'm glad you selected a name that I was familiar with, uh, uh, Commissioner. I was not sure if you were going to go with Vinny, Vince, or Vincent. If you said Vincent, I was going like, we got a problem here. We need to start this <laughs> out. You, you did not go with the given name. You went with one of the informal names. That lets me know that we are always going to be cool. We are always going to be cool, and I feel like we got to let the people know because you're Call me commissioner then. So just a quick backstory. So I'm of a certain height. I'm of a certain complexion. My my balding head and my glasses. Some people think I kind of look like Adam Silver. And so that's where that comes from. If you're curious, look it up, Google it, whatever. But I can see it. I can see it. I I, I mean, now that you guys have said it, I see it. So it's like day one, because we we tell everybody we're taping on Monday. This will air on Tuesday. Uh, Day one, and you already got one of the top three stories. Why don't you tell the people about what you broke? Uh, Kyle Lowry going from the Toronto Raptors where he spent the last nine seasons to the Miami Heat. It's been long speculated. You know, you got to go back even to the trade deadline where, you know, the Toronto Raptors was was talking to Miami about a deal. And remember the Tyler Hero hold up and everything else. So it was it was pretty easy to see that he was going to go there to play alongside Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo and all those other guys. Three years, $90 million. The third year was huge for Kyle Lowry being one of these older point guards, you know, guys like him and Chris Paul, they want to make as much money as they can on the back end, especially when you look at sort of the value of the point guard now, you know, maybe Kyle has Chris Paul to thank considering the run that the Phoenix Suns made to the NBA finals. And you're saying, wow, the value of a great point guard, Kyle Lowry is sort of in that similar class of player and now going to a Miami Heat team that was pretty embarrassed in the first round of the playoffs, but with an entire season in front of them, you got Eric Spolster still the coach. You still got Jimmy Butler and Bam and a few of those other guys. They're looking to always be going for it. So I'm very curious to see what that looks like. And Kyle Lowry going to the bank, gentlemen, the bank. <laughs> let's, so, yeah, that's a lot of money. <laughs> but let's start with it from, from Kyle's perspective. Why Miami? I think there was a comfort level 
with Jimmy Butler, they've been tight for years. And I think when you're looking at a guy like Kyle Lowry, when you're leaving a place like Toronto where he's been for so many years, he's going through different coaches, going from playing with DeMar DeRozan for a long time, then winning the championship with Kawhi Leonard, and then, you know, sort of transitioning to where this team, where you're trying to figure out this team is going forward or, they, or are they rebuilding uh, in the wake of losing Kawhi. I think he wanted to go to a place that had championship aspirations. Guys, once you get a taste of playing contending basketball, I don't think you really want to go back. Like I compare it to like living on boardwalk and then saying, you know what, go back and live on Baltic Avenue. You know what I mean? Like I ain't trying to go back on Baltic Avenue. I'm trying to go from boardwalk to park place. Yes, I am a competitive monopoly player on occasion or two, you know, I have those analogies there, but, um, but yeah, I, I think the big thing, the comfort level playing with Jimmy Butler, knowing, you know, what that heat culture is all about and everything else and having always been rumored there. So clearly I think there's been a desire to play there if he was going to be moved and the fact that they had $30 million to offer him. I'm not sure that the other teams in play, whether it was, you know, Dallas or new Orleans, were going to offer that, money guaranteed on the third year so the fact that Miami was willing to do it and we know no state taxes down there and everything they've never been necessarily afraid to spend I think it kind of made it more or less an easier decision than maybe we would see from the outside looking in so you've got a team now that obviously like like we've said heat are always in go now mode uh Brooklyn you figure comes back healthy Milwaukee is the defending champ so uh, what 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 kind of what kind of path does Miami have in front of them or what else do they need to add to to make sure that they can get over that hump that's an interesting one because I think the Eastern Conference is going to be a monster next mm. next season, gentlemen. And if I wind up spending a week or two in South Beach for the NBA Finals, <laughs> let me be the first to say I will not be disappointed. Okay, I don't get me wrong. I like Milwaukee and, and everything they have to offer, but Miami is something different. Do you guys do you guys understand? <laughs> so, but from a standpoint of trying to get there, you you have a bona fide number one in my opinion. I voted Jimmy Butler all in. NBA first team this year because of the advanced stats effect that he had the fact that when he played when he was not out with COVID for those you know 15 games or whatever it was he was a top 10 player if he can keep that up and if you add on a year of Tyler Hero if Hero improves in a lesser role where you're not asking him to carry the load and if Bam Adebayo comes back from the Olympics unscathed and everything else and you still got a little money to play with in free agency because of Andre Iguodala opting out of 15 million. I think if you get another perimeter shooter shot creator, so you're not depending on exclusively Jimmy Butler and Kyle Lowry to create every single play, I think you got a real chance of going and looking at the Brooklyn Nets and saying, you know what, our top players don't beat your top players, but from four to 10 or four to eight, we can match up with you. We can match up with you pretty favorably there. And then when the last five minutes of the game come, we got two players who we know aren't afraid to take, make the big shots and will not beat themselves down the stretch. So I think that's going to be their strategy unless, you know, when a disgruntled superstar comes on the market in Miami says, okay, hey, we got a home for you. But I just think from a realistic path right now, it's just let's, let's see how many good to very good players we can compile and see what we can do against that, those Brooklyn Nets or those uh, Milwaukee bucks that basically put them out to pasture in the in, in quick form uh in four games in the first round how does how does pat riley continue to do this because i was talking otto and i were talking about this before you joined us but we're you know you look at the heat and it's like for the last 
eight or so years since LeBron left, like they've been in win now mode. Right. And it's regardless of what their cap situation is, where they're drafting, like they make savvy moves and they somehow continue to put this team in a situation to where you don't ever necessarily feel like they're a finals team, but they're on the precipice. Right. And, and I, I say this full well knowing two years ago, they were just in the NBA finals, but like, how much do players buy into that heat culture, that heat way of doing things? And just how much does that weigh on these decisions? And how much does South Beach weigh? Because let's, let's be honest, South Beach, like you said, is another animal. Where do you want to live? Where do you want to play? What do you want to do when you leave out of practice? It's a lot easier to practice hard when you when the thought is, you know what, y'all, we get up out of here, we can get on the boat. <laughs> you know what I mean? When we get up out of here, we can you go take that catamaran out, out into the ocean. Yeah, like, yeah, it's easy to maintain that level of intensity when the coach says, look, man, I don't want to be here for three hours either. But if we're going to be here, let's go hard and let's do this. And I think the one thing that we take for granted from the outside looking in, and we could probably say to some degree of our professional lives is we work better when there's high standards, like you respect high standards. I think if if you let someone slide, they will. But if you meet, if you present a line that, hey, here's how things are done here, here's a level of accountability internally that you're going to have amongst your peers, players nine times out of ten, at least the good ones, are going to say, you know what, I don't want to be the, the bad wheel here. I don't want to be the spare tire in the trunk. I'm going to be the guy that's going to be just as intense and just as focused and everything else. And, yeah, it's not for everybody. You know what I mean? And sometimes if you look at, even if you look at Eric Spolstra's, you know, coaching record, He's never won 50 games outside of LeBron James, but I still think of him as a top coach because his guys always play hard. They always seem, he always seems to sort of get the best out of those guys. Even if you're looking at the strategy or substitution patterns or whatever the case, you know, all the minutia, like I don't look at him like I look at Mike Bootenholzer. I don't look at him like, man, they got to do it without him tonight. You know what I mean? Like I don't look at every, you know, this, I think, you know, I think I look at it like this. There's about seven good coaches seven bad coaches and a bunch of dudes in the middle to varying degrees, like they're very, various shades of gray. And he's I think 100% Spalding, an asset to his team, as opposed to a detriment, he's going to help. He's going to help you. And when you get Pat, who's got the rings, not just the rings from Miami, but the rings from LA and people still think of Pat Riley. I don't know about you guys. If someone said, I think of Pat Riley is the hard nosed guy from New York. I would say, you know what? I could see that. If someone said Pat Riley's the showtime coach, I could see that. If someone said Pat Riley is a South Beach guy, I can see all of that. He's had such a creative and distinctive basketball life, and he's still hungry. You know what I mean? He's still chasing LeBron James. If you think about it, he's still very upset that LeBron had the nerve to leave. Who leaves me? Who leaves this? That's like that's like someone saying they, leave, they left Halle Berry, except we've seen a few people who've left Halle Berry. We don't get it, but we've seen it, right? You know what I mean? So that's that's the like the audacity of it. And then you get like a hard-ass like Jimmy Butler who wants to be there. Like they've been waiting to get a guy like a Dwayne Wade's, like a standard bearer type of guy that's going to push everybody. And they fell into Jimmy Butler who always seemed like a Miami he type of player and them and therefore some guys are going to want to play with them so I, I think the heat have a standard of what they expect from guys and people are oftentimes attracted to that 
That is fascinating stuff. But we, we could probably do a whole show about, about Miami. And I know you could do a whole show on South Beach alone because I don't see any ring on that finger. So I know where your head's at. But, 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 um, I, I'm saying nothing. I know nothing, <laughs> Otto Stone. You're not going to get me on tape saying something that's going to incriminate myself. <laughs> I am and I do like places where singles can mingle. <laughs> Who, who, who among us don't? But uh, all right, so well, let, let, let's, let's, let's leave Miami. We're going to get on the plane and fly up to Detroit. So obviously, you know, I mean, the worst kept secret in the world, Kate Cunningham going to your Detroit Pistons. So, I mean, was there any serious deliberation within the team brass about them selecting somebody else? Or was he just going to be the guy all the way through? I don't think it was a, a foregone conclusion that he was going to be the guy. I think we all started off saying he's the consensus number one pick. But once you start digging into the weeds and you start investigating, they had three guys that they really looked at and said, you know what? They're all worthy of the number one pick. Evan Mobley from USC, Jalen Green from the G League Ignite. I think they all have very strong cases. I think what takes it over the top is this. When you look at our franchise, where the Pistons are, where they've been, they haven't won a playoff game since 2008. Like I was just finishing college around that time. You know what I mean? Like, that's a long time ago, Otto Strong. You know what I mean? And I ain't that old. At least I, like, at least I don't like to think I'm that old, right? So you can't afford to take such a pick where there's a lot of variance. And I think with Mobley, maybe you had to wait on him a little bit. And I think with Jalen Green, maybe there was just a little question about just a few ancillary things that they weren't sure about. But Kate Cunningham always looked like a guy that was comfortable in his own skin, that was comfortable being the number one pick. And even if his ceiling isn't as high, his floor is nowhere near as low as the worst case scenario. Like this city is still shaking over Darko Milicic. And that was 20 years ago. And they won a championship that year. And it still didn't matter. They were still pissed off about Darko. You know what I mean? So I think when they looked at Kate and they said, Who's going to be fit to be able to carry or play a part in carrying this franchise and doing what we want to do? And there, there isn't a bust combust. There isn't a bust factor with him. I don't think he's going to be a bust. He may not be LeBron James, so to speak. You know what I mean? And even if Mobley and Green turned to be better, I wouldn't be surprised. But I think they were looking at who's going to be a solid number one, who's going to be a pretty good player for us, even if he never turns into a quote-unquote franchise all-star guy. How, how old were you when, when Darko was selected? And what was your, rea your reaction at the time? Do you remember? Yes, I do. I was, gosh, I'm going to give him my age here. I was 18. Okay. I was not yet 19. Okay. Uh, my, birth, my birthday's later in the year, so I was 18. And I remember seeing Carmelo Anthony in the tournament. Yeah. And I remember seeing Dwayne Wade in the tournament. Yeah. And I was like, y'all got a backcourt, so maybe not Dwayne Wade. Yeah. And Tayshaun Prince had just emerged in the playoffs the year before, Garden Tracy McGrady. So I understood the selection, along with there being other cultural factors, gentlemen, that happen when you're in a city like Detroit. And you're like, you know what? If we take a chance on this blonde, good-looking kid with frosted tips, maybe we can sell a few more tickets and we can grow and all of that. And it'll appeal to a fan base. Because, you know, Ben Wallace got the fro and the braids. Some people might not have connected to that. But if you got this young kid who's good-looking and can appeal to suburban Detroit, Maybe it can happen. Not turn out to be the worst thing ever, but you know, I understood. Vinny, you bringing up that 2003 NCAA tournament, and, and Otto knows about this. We can't do a show without Here talking about Kansas basketball. Yeah, bing, I bing, 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 bing. Back to it. But you brought up just a horrible moment in my life having to watch Carmelo Anthony 
just torch my Jayhawks and them not being able to make a free throw in that championship game. But hey, I also got to watch my Jayhawks take down Dwayne Wade in the final four. So you know what? It's like so wait, well, as a Kansas fan during the Roy Williams era, you were yeah. used to failure. Oh, right? Come on, man. We went to a lot of final fours though. We didn't you, quite ever break through with them, but we went to a lot of final fours. You lost as a number, like one of the best college yeah, teams I've we ever do. seen. That's what we do. We seeds. <laughs> one of the best college teams I've ever seen was yeah. the 97 Kansas Jayhawks. Yeah, the Paul Pierce, Bond and friends, uh, John and Bond was on there. Yeah, yeah. To and Island. they got, what, no, they no, got taken the out by ones. Mike Bibby. They got <laughs> taken out by Arizona. Thanks, man. Thanks, man. I was just, oh, you know, I was, I was trying to play my world's smallest violin, and you just had to bring it right back to it. Crushed it. <laughs> okay, okay, but, but anyway, back to Kid Cunningham. What's gotcha. the floor? We know what the ceiling is. What's the floor? Mm-hmm. That's an interesting question. I think the floor is like a guy, okay, the floor, here's what I think of the floor. The floor is like a 15, 7, and 7 guy. You know what I mean? A guy yeah. who's going to who's going to be solid, who can score because he can shoot, but he and more athletic than the point guards that he's going against, but maybe not more athletic than the two guards he's going against because he can see the floor because he's 6'8". He's going to rebound. He's going to lead the break. He's going to see plays before they happen. I think he's going to be a solid player at worst. He may not come in averaging that, although I wouldn't be surprised if he did, but the ceiling, if he figures some things out, like the comparison I've made was Grant Hill. Like, except Grant Hill was a freakish athlete, an amazing athlete that would dunk on you and everybody else, you know, when he was a healthy, you know, 1994 to 2000, Grant Hill was was probably only second to Michael Jordan, in my opinion, at that time of being, you know, the best player in the game. So without that athleticism, I think there's a cap there, but I think because how smart he is, and honestly, all the things that we truthfully say about white players, we should be saying about Kay Cunningham, right? He's, he sees the game, uh, you know, two steps ahead. He's Just not overly athletic, right? That's all the things that we say about traditionally about white guys, except we should be saying that about Kay Cunningham, but we don't because he looks like Kay Cunningham. But I think that's the, that's the floor for him. So there's no chance this is an Anthony Bennett situation. Man, there's a really bad analogy <laughs> I could make, but it would get all of us in trouble. It would, it would be referenced like a 70s TV show. But no, Anthony Bennett, absolutely not. There, there will not be a bust there, I, I think. Could, couldn't we all see Anthony Bennett as a bust when that first happened? Like, yeah. I'm no basketball scout. But, but damn it, it's just some stuff you ain't got no business doing. And that was a pick you had no business making. And they still got LeBron a year later. They st- they... I quit. <laughs> Hey, so so obviously you, you I'm assuming you think the Pistons had a good draft, so we'll go with we'll go with that. So beyond the Pistons, who else who else had a good draft? And there was and on the other end, is there any teams that kind of left you left you kind of wondering what the hell's going on here? Well, the team that left me going saying what's going on here is a team that's like far far away from here, the Golden State Warriors. Like you had seven and you had fourteen, and I like the picks. I like uh, I like Moody. I like uh, who's I forgot the guy, the guy at seven. It don't matter who they got at seven. What I'm saying is it's not the picks that are bad. It's the fact that you had seven and 14 and you had Andrew Wiggins and you did not flip this for something greater because Stephen Curry gave you one of the, the best of the rest season of his life. Right. He will never have another season like he just did. He can come close. And I think he. He is more likely that he comes close more than he falls off the face of the earth. But I think you have a responsibility to a player like that to keep going, 
you have to you, i've never seen a team that says you know we're gonna try to win now we're gonna try to win for the future and we're gonna try to win with the past you can't do all three things at once i don't care how shiny that building is or what you think you are light years ahead i think you have to make a choice and if you're going to commit to stephen curry which it looks like they will with a four-year supermax deal then you also kind of have to commit to putting the type of roster around him that is, that he doesn't have to babysit guys like you can't expect these 19 year old kids to come in and play championship basketball that's totally unfair to ask them you saw james wiseman struggle last year and i think james wiseman is going to be fantastic in the future you can't have three babies on it like i don't have kids but i think if you got one baby running around you can survive you got three of them rugrats you are losing your hair and i like my hair you know what i mean like that's that's not happening i don't know if cleveland's going to do something with mobley i don't know if you can win with five very very young players like i'm always very curious if you've got a team full of babies where yeah we got a top guy here we got a guy that we paid but if there's no like pecking order or there's no you know hey we're going to commit it to developing this guy and you guys are all going to play a part in that as supplementary pieces usually those guys are more veterans everybody who's young you're still trying to figure your own career out you're still trying to make your own name you're not trying to walk in and be like hey look man two years ago i was that guy Two years ago, that was Colin Sexton walking in saying, you know, I want the touches or and I, need, I need the touches and everything else. And then Darius Garland came, came in and now you're bringing in Evan Mobley, who's a fantastic player, but is there fertile ground, you know what I mean, for him to be able to succeed and develop the way that he needs to. So I, I'm, I'm very curious to see what those type of teams who bring in young players, if they have the environment that's conducive to developing Jalen Green or Evan Mobley or Moody or any of these other kids that I think are really, really talented. So much of this is about situation and environment more so than if a guy's talented or not. You know, and that's a really good point because it felt like they were kind of natural trade partners with the Sixers, right? Like if the Sixers were going to make a move, they were probably interested in both of those picks because they could have moved the needle for them a little bit. Were you surprised at how quiet Philadelphia was on draft night? I'm never surprised at how quiet Philadelphia is. Like, are, are we serious? Is this, this, this look, look, their their second best player is a dude who won't shoot. So you're asking me if I'm afraid? Am I surprised but, but, that the but, team didn't pull so, trigger? So, but but to relate that, he'd be a good fit on that Warriors team, right? Because he'd be surrounded by shooters, so he could drive and he could kick and he would have open shooters. So like, if they were going to make a deal, he'd be, I mean, in my eyes, like a really good player to pair with Steph and Clay if Clay's healthy you the first thing you said was they have shooters around right yeah. i'm not sure if you've seen draymond green's movies the past couple of years he ain't shooting no more <laughs> and i think it's a lot of positional duplication there you know like my top three defensive players this year on my ballot was uh rudy gobert ben simmons draymond green and green and simmons do a lot of the same things as far as being interchangeable you can run an offense around them without them having to shoot that would be to me to me that'd be too much duplication if i'm philadelphia one of the best places that could be for ben simmons is a place where he doesn't have to handle the ball and he can be that swiss army knife maybe portland you know what i mean a place like that where there is a designated number one guy who's the culture setter there and you don't need ben simmons to come in there and set the culture i don't think that he's useless i don't think that he's not irredeemable but y'all saw the playoffs y'all saw what we saw and for the philadelphia 76ers to say we want all your best players and all your picks like who's he think he is sam presti 
Like I don't, I don't, I don't. I mean, who who does he think Ben Simmons is? Like Chelsea Clinton? Like who would you kidnap? So here's the question: Like, what what is the return for a Ben Simmons then? Because the contract is what it is at this point. He's early into it. He's an all-star level player, but he's playing in a league in the playoffs. You have to be able to shoot the basketball, and he can't. You have to be able to shoot the basketball, and and I get it. Like nobody's going to trade the poo-poo platter. You know what I mean? Like Philadelphia should not accept the poo-poo platter for Ben Simmons. But I think, could you get a CJ McCollum? Could you get a borderline all-star player and maybe some level of protection on a draft pick? Sure. But I don't think he's going to be, this ain't the Herschel Walker deal or anything like that, y'all. Like I don't, his value is much too low for that. And you need too much of a specialized team around him to bring him in. Because if he's your best player, I don't know how good you of a team are, you know, how good you are. He was the second best player on the Philadelphia 76ers and they lost to a team whose best player is 5'11". So like, I mean, I was, I was, pulling what little hair I have left out of my head. Like just, just from the, the free throw line thing just, just confounds me. I mean, look, if you're Shaq, that's one thing. Ben, like, I don't know. I mean, is there, has he been putting jump shots? I mean, I know it's not just about the shots. I know it's, it's going on, what's, what's going on between his ears and just kind of in his head. But are you hearing anything about what, you know, kind of where, where he's at with the way the season went, wound down? Here's the thing, you know, we hear all the time, like Ben Simmons becomes the 15 pounds of muscle that everybody adds every summer. You ever notice that, you know, player X, he's in the gym, he has, 50, he has 15 pounds of muscle this year, and he come in looking like the same old peanut butter and jelly sandwich that he always has been. You know what I mean? Until I see that Ben Simmons is not anything other than Ben Simmons, I'm not going to believe anything I hear. Because there's been times where I've heard Ben Simmons is putting the work in. He's going to be ready this year, y'all. He's going to be ready. And you come out there and he's regressed. And I, for me, I think, to be a guy that talented and that gifted for you to be the same exact player you've been for four years, that takes a lot of, a lot of hard work to be committed to be that being that mediocre. Like he is doing his talent a disservice by being the player that he is. I look at him from a physical, from a physical standpoint, there's very little separation physically between he and Giannis. Except Giannis ain't afraid to go out there and miss a shot. He ain't afraid to air ball. He ain't afraid to do anything. And the mentality is just different. So I think Simmons, not even from a mechanical standpoint, it's the mentality that's got to change. Even if he can't shoot, even if he doesn't switch hands, but you got to have the mentality to be aggressive or not be afraid. Because if you're not, if you are, people are going to notice that and chomp down on it and take advantage of that. These dudes are sharks in the water. I mean, you're talking about the best 300 you know, plus players in the world. They're looking for any advantage they can, especially when you're one of the most talented guys out there and you're not utilizing it. I, I always thought that like Dame had that mentality and I always thought Russell Westbrook kind of had that mentality. You know, those are small guys that just take the rock and they go, except for Dame can really <laughs> shoot it and get at you in closing minutes. Does Westbrook to LA and the Lakers uh, contention that he has around him, is that a finals level team now or is it still, maybe they don't have enough pieces? I mean, it's a finals level team because you got LeBron James and Anthony Davis. Like what, what you're basically saying is, we can't afford any of these guys to get hurt. If anybody if gets hurt, get hurt, we are going to get hurt at some point. And that's the problem. Anthony Davis usually doesn't suffer the catastrophic injuries. He doesn't have the ACLs, the Achilles. He just has the nagging things that you can't really prevent. And you can't really predict that it's going to come. LeBron is three weeks older than me, which is fine in life. Three years younger than me, which is fine in life. But in basketball terms, you old, bruh. 
You know what I mean? And, and that the amount of Solomon time he's Hill had play. on his legs from extra playoff runs too. And and that that Solomon Hill play was a freak play. You know, you can't predict a guy landing on your ankle and your ankle turning inward. You know, in a completely unnatural way. But those things tend to happen in ways that before LeBron could just walk that off. I've seen LeBron sprain his ankle 10 times in, in person and think, man, he's going to be out for a while. And he straps up his shoes, ties them up harder, comes back out the next play. And when you're looking at Russell Westbrook, you're talking about one speed all the time. And I don't know if he can play slow enough, he can play methodical enough, especially on a team that does not have shooting to maximize what those guys have. So if they go out and find shooters and wing defenders, two things that they still needed even before they made this trade, maybe they will be okay. But as long as you got to think, there's no Kawhi Leonard next year for all intents and purposes, right? Golden State is still still wants to be, you know, they still got Muppet babies running around there. So I don't think they're going to be, you know, the contenders. So the Lakers might get to the finals by default because they got the biggest, best players. You know what I mean? Anthony Davis is a giant. LeBron is a giant. Russell Westbrook in his own way is a giant. So they can have as plenty of question marks as I think they will and still get to the finals. You know what I mean? Maybe not win, but I think they can at least get there. And so you say, you say what to, to the Phoenixes and the Denvers who were missing, you know, I mean, Denver obviously missing Jamal and key piece and, and Phoenix. Well, they obviously got to the finals, but uh, it feels like, I don't know, it just feel, it doesn't feel like a team that's going to be going back and back and back. That's just me. No, it's, it, I will say, I will say this. I think it's one of those things, guys, where Phoenix's younger players are going to get better, but it's wholly dependent on Chris Paul remaining to be like this engine, this 37-year-old engine that's not going to miss time, that's going to play time and play well. I wonder if we're expecting and asking too much of him, considering considering we know that Chris Paul has gotten hurt before and everything else. I wonder if we're asking too much of him. I still think that the Phoenix Suns are going to be a solid, a really good team, especially with health and everything else next year. I just wonder if their ceiling is not going to be as high as it was this past season. Absolutely. Love it, man. We got Rugrats. We got Muppets. We got South Beach. We talked basketball. We got the commissioner. We covered yeah. it all, man. Hey, yeah. thanks so much for your time. We appreciate you stopping by. Hey, I appreciate it, man. I'm, I miss the commissioner, man. I, I, I miss hanging out with the commissioner every year at NABJ. So it's good to see you again. <laughs> and likewise, with, with the first pick, <laughs> you'll, you'll be my first pick any day of the week, man. I appreciate you, man. <laughs> you will. That was Dope. I'll tell you what, Otto, uh, it was nice of Vincent to take time out of his day while free agency is happening, as it's going on, as deals are coming through, and to spend a little bit of time with us. You know, that's a tough ask. And for him to come through for us in that moment, I thought that was pretty noble of him. Uh, Vinny is great, good people, and... uh... I like I said, we, we we go back a ways, and so we we love having some fun. So, do, do you have any good Vinny stories that you could share? Um, I don't think any of them would be appropriate. <laughs> Those are the best ones, though. Those are the best. Uh, ones. Yeah, nah, nah. All right, all right. We'll just have to leave our our listeners wondering what some of your stories are for another day. But hey, you know what? That's another pod for another time. That's another off season pod that's not on the same time, right? It'll be in the book. It'll be in the book. The book. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. All right, let's go. Time to stick the landing. 
All right, let's go ahead and wrap things up for today. First off, special thanks to Vincent Goodwill of Yahoo Sports for talking NBA draft, free agency, and everything going on around the loop today. And a special thanks to our producer. His name is Daniel Kramer and to our editor, Kristen Woolley. Also, big ups to our king of content who's on vacation this week exploring Colorado and our CCO and our EP. He is the double B. He is Bruce Bernstein. And as for the rest of us here at Pure Hoops Media, here's what we have to offer. The Mike Weiss Show, each week brings you entertaining takes, incredible stories, and high-level guests. Full Court with Fisher and Kay has plenty of great college hoops talk. Monica McNutt and King McClure have buckets, boards, and blocks every Thursday. And BJ Armstrong and Eric Newman have the Pure Hoops podcast on Friday. And of course, Otto and I are back every single Tuesday with Catch and Shoot 2.0. COVID cases continue to rise across the country, people. But we can put an end to the pandemic if we just go out there and get that shot in the arm. That's the best way to best way to get it done. Get the vaccine. Um, they are effective. For, you know, they will they will keep you safe. Um, you know, safe from safe from serious harm and safe from death. All that. So please, please get your vaccine. In the meantime, continue to protect yourselves and those that you love by washing your hands, maintaining distance, um, and you know, just practicing smart hygiene all around. Uh, please don't forget the medical professionals and other frontline workers who are doing their part to keep us safe. So for all of us, partner in Berlin, I'm Otto Strong. See you next week. Catch and Shoot 2.0 is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media.